All right. Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Zabonik-Chanko, Editor-in-Chief of Club Solutions Magazine, and welcome to our virtual thought leadership series. We have a really awesome panel for today's session on the topic of managing and developing teams. It's sponsored by Zenodi, so thank you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start by asking each of our panelists to introduce themselves and share a little bit of um, information on their clubs and themselves, including a fun fact. Um, so, John, let's go ahead and start with you. Yeah, my name is John LaRosa. Um, you know, I've been in the industry for 25 years. I do have clubs in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I currently have eight locations, uh, two different models. I do have some crunch locations, as, uh, which is a low price model, as well as Elements Health Clubs, which is a higher price model. So um, been have had those, our holdings company has been, in, you know, was established in 2018. And uh, let's see, a fun fact about me is, um, I don't know, there's not a whole lot. I have, I have, a, I have a pet pig. How about that? A potbelly pig. So, and the best pet ever. And clean, which is exciting. So, Okay, that is definitely a fun fact. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's his or her name? Her name is Socks, because she's all black and has white hooves, white, white legs. Nice. So, all she does is sleep and hit the kitchen when I'm in there for treats. So, that's about it. Awesome. Very cute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ada, how about you? Um, I am Ada Vizi McKenzie. Um, I'm one of the owners of Cedardale Health and Fitness. We've been in business for 50 years. And um, in 2019, we suffered a fire that took down 180,000 square feet. So we had this tremendous opportunity to rebuild. And we did in two years. So we can start out with a brand new state-of-the-art club. We were open for nine months and doing absolutely tremendously, and COVID hit. So a whole new set of problems, and um, we're shut down for three months. But again, with a wonderful team, teams at Cedardale, um, we were able to reopen, and um, we're just about back. So... Um, we're pretty pleased about that. So we're over 40 um, acres. We have the club on one side and we have an open to the public on the other side, summer day camps, two 18 home miniature golf uh, courses. We have batting cages, indoor play and an aquatic center. So a lot to, to watch. Um, and again, 50 years. So we keep reinventing ourselves. And uh, so far it's uh, held up. Um, fun fact, I still have my lifeguarding and um, my WSI in swimming. And that's how I started here in the eighth grade. So that's my fun fact. That's awesome. I was going to say, you did start very young at life. I did. <laughs> awesome. All right, Karen, go ahead. Um, hi, everyone. Karen Ray Siegel. I'm the executive director here at LifeWorks of Southwest General. And we are a hospital-owned uh, fitness facility located outside of Cleveland, Ohio. So yeah, having some cold weather today. Uh, but it's going to be in the 70s this weekend, so I'm happy about that. Uh, yeah, for us, you know, we're primarily for adults, so we really don't have any kid program at all. We're surrounded by city recreation centers that are big and beautiful. And, um, you know, um, after COVID, we're slowly growing. I was telling, you know, just prior to us turning this on, uh, we're slowly growing. Everything's moving in the right direction, the financials, the membership. And it, that's really wonderful to see. Um, staffing wise, um, you know, we're doing pretty good. It, it, it's really nice. Uh, we're not having 
two harvard time finding staff which is good we're i think we only have two positions that are even open at this point so that's been going well and um, a fun fact i will share this i my the very first mountain i ever climbed was camelback in phoenix with Chez, who's on here, with the fearless <laughs> leader, Cher Harris from the Houstonian. <laughs> I was going to bring it up beforehand, Chez, if I didn't want you to steal my thunder. So, <laughs> Was that in our leadership retreat? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We went, like, at what time was it in the morning? It was, like, 4.30 or 5 a.m. Because it was, huh? It was early. It was early. <laughs> yeah. And so Cher's like, let's go. And she is, like... Uh, and we go Echo Trail, which was the harder mm -hmm. one to go up. I mean, at some point I felt like Spider Woman. I'm like, oh my God. And Cher just goes flying. She's like flying right up. We're like, oh my God, we got to breathe. <laughs> that is an impressive fun fact because it, it was very hot that weekend, yes. that week. Yeah. And multiple people had to be rescued off that mountain. So <laughs> the fact that you guys did it successfully <laughs> is very impressive. Yeah. So awesome. All right, Ches, go ahead. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. Um, my name is Ches Misko. I'm one of the owners of the Wisconsin Athletic Club. Um, Wisconsin Athletic Club, we have eight uh, full-service um, higher-end athletic clubs in the metro Milwaukee area. Uh, we started in 1976, was the first location. We were cleverly called the Racquetball Club, so we had just racquetball. Uh, eight courts kind of to start with, and then that grew and grew. Um, we still do have uh, racquetball at a, a couple of our locations, and we've obviously converted most uh, to full-service clubs. We do have one club that has tennis. Our clubs range in size from about 30,000 square feet to approximately 100,000 square feet. And then we also do a lot of corporate wellness. So we work with a lot of the local companies here in the Metro Milwaukee area and either do on-site fitness, group fitness uh, programming um, to bring them on into our clubs for specific programming. So we've been doing that for about 20 years. Um, so we have a lot of experience in that corporate wellness world. Uh, fun fact, I, 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 probably a couple of them. Uh, one is my full name is Cesare. A lot of people think, I think when they see Ches, they think it's like Charles or something, but it's Cesare. Mm -hmm. uh, that was, uh, and my dad liked the name. He was Italian boxer in the Olympics. So I saved it and, and that's where I got the name from. And then uh, I think the other fun fact is uh, I started here at the WAC when I was 15 years old, uh, teaching martial arts. So that was my first job here. Um, I used to compete and fight all over the country in martial arts. And a buddy of mine worked at the club and got me involved as a martial arts instructors. And now I'm one of the owners. So it kind of worked out. I'm glad I made that decision. So Yeah, very cool. Yeah. I did not know that was your full name. So yeah. good to know. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, an audience, obviously, um, we've got um, some great panelists today with a wide breadth of experience. So if you have any questions for them um, during the discussion, please put those in the Q&A or chat and we should have time to get to them. Um, but yeah, we'll go ahead and jump into it. So I want to start off with my first question is I'm just really curious to hear from you all. What do you feel are the hallmarks or characteristics of high performing teams? What are signs that you should look for? Um, Karen, let's start with you. Um, what to look for? Um, well, I mean, I could just get from my own experience and what we have here. It, it trust is the number one thing I would have to say is that um, that they trust me, they trust each other, and they feel trusted, and they feel like they're in a safe environment that they can, you know, if they make a mistake or they need assistance or help, they're able to rely on each other, and um, we're all in it together. And you, you know, that's the biggest thing, but I, I would have to say, you know, for me right now, it, it mean, trust, you need that to have it. Yeah. 
What, what about you, John? What are your thoughts on that one? I think one of the most important things is um, when you take a look at any organization um, that is successful, whether it's sports or, you know, um, clubs or whatever it is, uh, I firmly believe you got to have a very internal competitive environment. Uh, they're usually very competitive and it's not necessarily against with each other. I mean, that's always fun and all, but mainly competitive against, you know, either the job competencies that they're you know, expected to uphold and the cultural competencies. And when you see that, you really have self-driven individuals who will, you know, um, shoot hard and drive hard for what the ultimate goal is. And so when you look at any teams that are very successful, you know, you'll see the guys and gals that are very competitive with themselves uh, and with each other. You know, it's always fun to have competitiveness and contests and stuff like that. But, um, you know, and that's up to us leaders to, to instill that kind of environment. Yeah, makes sense. Chaz, what are your thoughts? I think, um, you know, this maybe is kind of in, intuitive to it, but teamwork, you know, that people really do work well together. I mean, you see that now in like basketball, right? And they put all these super teams together with the best five players, but they don't win the championship, you know, because they are individual, right? They're just again really good at what they do, but they're not good collectively to, to win the game, right? And so I think us really making sure that we put the right people in the right seats, kind of a good to great kind of reference of getting the right people on the bus, putting them in the right seats, and then really making sure that there's the collaboration and connection that they have with each other. Um, because if, again, and that kind of fits into trust and some of the other features that are out there, but if they can't work well together to just have them be kind of in silos, it ultimately creates problems for you and, uh, and, and it becomes a, it just difficult to manage um, as part of that process. So. Yeah. Ada. Um, I look for enthusiasm and positivity. I just think that brings so much to the table. Um, in our situation, we went through a devastating fire and then COVID nine months after. And boy, oh boy, you've got to be able to pull that out and you've got to reorganize and find how you are going to get through these things. So a group that can take a minute or two um and be a little sad about things but then rally together um to get you going again i've learned to really appreciate that yeah like yeah i can see why all right um well i also want to hear from you on your just your overall philosophies regarding how to lead and manage teams successfully um john let's start with you i think uh the the one of the core tenants for um leading uh, a successful team is to have open communication. And I think it goes back to, I think someone said maybe eight or someone said about, or somebody said about trust. Um, you know, you got to ensure that your team really feels comfortable and trusts that they could come to you and be transparent with you. And you got to do the same back to them in order to, uh, you know, clean up any kind of uh, confusions or, or, you know, maybe resolve any kind of uh, issues that there are. But, uh, you know, my philosophy is uh, being able to communicate with them and also have a core foundation of, of you know, development, constant development, um, no matter what level they come in and at, you know, if they're a rookie or if they're a veteran, there's always some level of development you can start off with. And a lot of that self-development as well, not just around the job competencies. And so, uh, you know, we, we've taken the approach of we're, we're more in the roles of developing people other than just employees. The employees will come um, as, you know, or the employee development will come as we develop them as people. But that creates a sense of loyalty, too, you know, to them. They get that from you and they know where you, they stand with you. And I think that's a very, very important thing in order to, to really create the culture, which 
you know, we're all looking for that culture, right? Uh, that's going to create success for us. And that's, that's part of it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, John. I actually just was reading an article earlier about how some companies are actually asking to be reimbursed for the time that they've spent training an employee if the employee doesn't work out. I'm curious, like, what are your all's thoughts on that? Who's asking for the reimbursement? Who is that? The, the, yeah. the, the employer. Oh, the employer is asking employee? for reimbursement. Well, yeah, they're, say, they're saying if we spent time training you and then you don't work out in 90 days, they want yeah. like 10% of their paycheck paid back to them. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, if, if you don't mind me going first, I think that's where you got to, you know, you got to kind of work around that and have them want to stay there and want to be there and, and see things that they typically don't get from anyone else. I mean, I think, you know, we always take the pride in doing so, uh, doing it better than our competitors or anybody else. And I think, you know, having them have bought in and have them competitive and have them uh, earn their spots, you know, compete against the job competencies and cultural competencies allows them to stay longer because, uh, and sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it's too hard for them, you know, and uh, you just lose out on that. But I think there's a, there's a work away around that instead of expecting them to pay back something. Mm. Anyone else want to weigh in on that one? I would just think maybe invest in your hiring processes first. You don't have to get yourself in that situation. Maybe take more time in that aspect. And I wonder who they're hiring that they're going to do that. I mean, especially you know, um, the younger generations, uh, that's not going to go over well. They're not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No. Maybe the baby boomers, you would have got it from us, but I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't think the younger generations going to go for well, that. And to that point, you know, we, we, we've implemented something about five years ago where, uh, you know, I'm a big sports fan. So, you know, when people coming on and I'm big about our core tenant being competitiveness. And so we want people coming in when we hire them to compete, against the job competencies and the cultural competencies. Cause one, we want them to be able to do their job, but two, we want them to fit into the team. Like, you know, Chez said, they gotta be teamwork and stuff. And so we give them a 60 day tryout period. So they're hired on, but they're under, we call it the 60 day earning period. And with that, we provide, uh, you know, hip to hip development, constant development, constant communications, but uh, we have them competing against their job competencies and the cultural competencies. And, you know, within 60 days, we're gonna know if they're gonna be good for our team or they're gonna know, you know, know if it's something they wanna do. So that way we're not investing too much into them other than just development and, and time. But uh, I tell you what, when we sign them on after 60 days, uh, they'll be damned if anybody's going to take it from them. So now they're more committed. Yeah. yeah. You got to get that buy-in. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. So um, anyway, we'll get back to the original question, which was what are your, uh, what's your philosophy regarding how to lead and manage teams um, successfully? Ada, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, I think I've always felt it's really important to create an atmosphere where your team can um, really feel safe to uh, speak their truth and not that they're going to be taken down for it. Um, I would so much more appreciate the truth than um, having someone tell me what they think I want to hear. So I think uh, that's um, a really important part of your team that we can provide as leaders. Is it important too then like as a leader to create a culture where failure is okay? I think (laughs) failure is okay as long as we dissect it, we learn from it and we try not to ever have that happen again. Mm -hmm. And we're lucky with um, an independent club to be able to do those things, to move that quickly, to have a program that 
just is not producing, um, not doing anything for our membership. We sit down, we rewrite it, and uh, we try something new. So um, again, that's one nice thing about being independent and uh, having a group of people who are um, ready to switch it up and get something that is going to be successful. Yeah. Awesome. Chaz, did I ask you to weigh in on this one? Uh, not yet, but uh, okay. just I think what we're kind of all saying a little bit is that uh, the culture really is um, the most important thing. It's kind of like the fundamental part of where you can build your teams off of is, is really having a clear culture, uh, you know, and what is your specific culture that uh, you have. And it doesn't have to. I'm sure all of us on this panel have different cultures, but it has to be a culture where the people matter. Um, and it's not just about the numbers. It's not just about productivity. It's really about the person. And, and for us personally, our, our mission is in our philosophy is to make a difference in people's lives. And, and, and we want to make a difference in our team members' lives so that they can make a difference in our members' lives, which makes a difference in our business, right? And so it has that trickle-down effect of how we do that. And, and so you can't just have them on the wall though as a mission statement or as core values you have to make sure that the things that you do make your staff feel that and that's what creates that culture that people want to be part of or not you know so i think it's really being able to take these concepts and be able to actually be able to implement them and do them uh, then makes the difference to really create a culture where people want to belong to and i think covid really put that front uh, and center is that for um a lot of people decided at that point in time where they wanted to be right or, or not be that's what caused the kind of the great resignation right? And so if they were not good cultures, if they did not have a, a people-oriented focus, I think they really struggled during the COVID timeframes because uh, it wasn't just about the money anymore. Um, it was about how they felt, right? Or if they felt that they were contributing or doing something greater than just whatever the job task was. So. Yeah. yeah, certainly. Karen, did I ask you to weigh in? Um, no, but I can. Um, like what everyone's saying, you know, strong communication up and down, like I'm with Otto, you know, tell me the truth um, and making sure to, um, to check in with them and, uh, you know, have those rounding points where you're having that dedicated time to sit down with them one on one and really asking where where they're at, what's successful, what's working well. You know, the, those questions that you can get from Gallup you know, um, I think is really strong. And the one thing that I've noticed, like moving forward, number one, I have to get out of their way. So I get out of the way unless I'm needed, you know, manage that, you know, wh when do I need to step in, step aside, or step the heck out of there? <laughs> you know, that you've heard that before, right? Um, doing that, and then also have a little bit more fun. So I, uh, I, I, I can't describe when it happened after COVID, but it's a lot more lighthearted here. Um, before COVID, it was like, we have to be at the members back and call and they're first. And after COVID, I was like, no, my employees first, you can wait a minute. I don't have, you know, we don't have the staffing. I am not going to burn these people out. They're good people. And we all came together like that. And so my teams came together and it's just like, take a breath. You know, it doesn't have to be done yesterday. And that's the way I operated pre, you know, before COVID. And that came from me. Everything had to be done like immediately or, you know, like yesterday and, and it was just like, take a breath. And I think right now the teams and the diversity of the teams and like one thing I just found out last week, cause we're attending a leadership development with my, uh, the hospital was I have all millennials that are on my management team. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm a baby boomer. So it was just kind of, cause they were talking about generational and everything. And it was interesting to see how I do rely on them. I mean, I love their input, their, their skills and the differences that they bring to the table, but also to let them breathe 
have a good time and get out of their way. Yeah. Well, I think that's really interesting though, about just like, yeah, how things changed during COVID. I feel like it did kind of bring a lot of things into perspective for both the leadership team and the employees. Yeah. Like what was important. And, you know, like Chess said, really brought to light your culture and any pain points you might be having. So. Yeah. You yeah. know what brought up? Can I add one more thing? Yeah. So one thing that was really interesting to bring up, you know, usually we're always, we're always quick to point out someone, oh, you did this mistake wrong, or you did this. And um, I think there was like a Simon Sinek TED talk, whatever he was talking about how, you know, you go into a hotel and the employee says, oh, I love working here. And then, you know, and it, it's, it's like, use the word love versus, you know, you don't go home and say, oh, I like my, you know, I like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot. You know, I don't say that. And he's like, why do you say love? And it was just like every single manager, every single person, you know, they ask me how I'm doing. It's not just my manager. It's the whole culture of how it made it like what Chess said, how they made the employee feel. And the guy works at another hotel and he goes, no, that's just a job. But mm-hmm. I love working here. Same hotel. I mean, different hotels, but just the same job. The only difference was people. Yeah. 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 There's that quote. Um, people won't remember what you say or do, but they'll remember how you make them feel. So, yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I know a lot of you have talked about communication and the importance of it. Um, but how do you actually in practice ensure you're clearly communicating to your teams? Um, let's start with you, Ada. Um, as far as communication here, again, we're in an independent club. Um, I really like um, talking to people face-to-face. And um, I think that is a big way of me communicating, um, certainly backed up by everything else. And I know you had the question, Rachel, on what different venues do you communicate? And, um, you know, there are so many, and I'm on a round table and we use all sorts of things. We use Slack and some work, some don't, and uh, some people can navigate it well, and some people can't. Um, but I, again, I'm a little old school, and I go back because I've been here almost 50 years, and I just love the contact um, of the face-to-face, but um, all of it is backed up by emails, and again, meetings, we try to at least meet um, once a week. Um, you know, you have those little huddles in the morning, different little departments that try to get everything together. You know, you've got um, newsletters that go out when big things are happening um, and all the social media. So you really have to be on top of all that. So again, independent club, I know it would be very different um, if we had eight different locations that were 30 to 40,000 square feet uh, each, but we are one big location. So that's kind of how we handle it here. Yeah. Well, I think Chaz, that is, ties in well to you. How do you, you know, you do have multiple locations and um, lots of different teams. So how do you ensure clear communication? Uh, I'll tell you, communication is hard. I mean, if anyone thinks they're good at communicating, they're, they're, they're probably not. I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest challenges with any business. I mean, really, in your, in, your, in your day-to-day life, most of the problems that you have come from poor communication, right? Whether it's with your spouse, your kids, you know, your friends, whoever, right? I mean, it's just communicating is hard. And I think the, the problem of it is, and I'll use for us, we have 1,200 employees. 
everyone communicates differently. And so as a good leader, you have to figure out how you communicate with them, right? It's not that they have to communicate to you, right? You have to figure out in some ways, how do I communicate to 1200 or whatever, if you're whatever manager, whatever number of people they have, how do you really make sure that they understand what you're saying? And, and a couple of things that I think are really crucial is, is that really making sure that you're concise and clear. I think a lot of times people try to beat around the bush and be, they're trying to be nice about it, but it's not very clear on what people want. I think a major problem that a lot of uh, places have is there's not congruency. So in the message that they state, maybe their body language or the tone of voice that they use to kind of create that, which makes people feel confused uh, as it relates to that. And then one of the things that I really um, am stress with our managers is really making sure that you check for understanding, right? So you think you did a really good job communicating, right? You're like, it's really clear in your head, right? You're like, I know exactly what I just think I just said, but then you ask the person and it's like, they're speaking a different language, right? You're like, oh, what happened here? Um, it's so different. And so making sure that you check for understanding with your team so that again, have them repeat it back to you, show them. And I think that goes back to a real key concept of this good teams is that it's, there's a big difference between telling and teaching. And I think that's something that good teams help teach and grow and work together towards things versus just telling. Because a lot of times when you just tell somebody something, they don't understand the why, they don't understand what they're doing. And then there's a lot of um, disgruntled people because they feel scared. They feel like they're going to do it wrong. So I think it's really important to make sure with communication that, that you go through all of that uh, part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it might be Simon Sinek talks about how like you have to repeat things as a leader, like probably 12 times before it's actually heard. You almost want to get to the point where they joke about it, right? When they are like, oh, they're going to talk about this again, right? I mean, that's, you almost have to say it that many times so that they really do understand that. And again, I will tell you that the, the why behind the what is, is really important. And I think more so than ever, specifically with the younger generation is, is that if you just go there and tell them, do this, there's a lot of resentment if they don't understand why they need to do that. And so yeah. you know, always be clear on what's your why behind the what, so that they really feel empowered so that they understand it. And then they can, they get the concept and then they can do it. Cause again, in our business, it's so great, right? It's not just black and white. And so they have to be able to take those concepts you're teaching and lay it over so many different situations that could happen in the club on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Well, and then I think it's Brene Brown that talks about defining done because your version of what is a completed job might be completely different than someone else's. So yeah. having them putting clarity around that's important too. And what, what we talk about for coaching staff is kind of painting a picture and providing a path, right? So you really want to be clear on painting a clear picture. What I mean by that is that, so what you see and what I see, it's the same thing, right? And so that you really have those clear expectations as part of that. We do an exercise where we take two managers and they sit back to back and one's got a drawing and they have to communicate the drawing on a piece of paper to the other person. And it's funny because all of a sudden you think you did it really good. And then you look at what's drawn there and it's like totally different picture. <laughs> right one picture looks good and this one's like oh my god what happened there so it is one of those things where it's it's again takes a lot of practice it takes leaders that are willing to try to grow themselves and and improve their communication style Um, and those are usually the best leaders ones that reflect on conversations reflect on communications and can use it as a way to get better as a as a leader as a manager yeah john how do you ensure clear communication well i think just hit it wrong there head you know there's a one of the things that i'm a firm believer is you know like he said you know outline those expectations so that way when you do communicate in the future they have some idea of what those expectations are and what you're alluding to but um and it goes back to the point where you know my my word is emphasis right it's a continued emphasis 
on on any kind of objective you're trying to drive or any kind of uh, communication you're trying to have and over communicate we always say if you don't get five eye rolls from somebody you probably haven't communicated enough and so you know almost to a point you want them like oh i get it i get it i get it but at least they understand you know that you're on the same page and that they understand what your your expectations are so um you know some of the communication things though you know there's are there are a lot of holes in communication and i have had to work with this in some of my executive teams is you know well i sent out an email well okay i love that you sent out an email but where's the you know you got to follow up because we know how a lot of the teams are when you send out emails and especially when you have multi locations that they don't always read their emails. And so, you know, we try not to rely on one, one avenue of communication. We try to use multiple sources. And I try to lead by example with that through immediate, um, you know, responses back through text messaging, phone calls. I mean, it's tough sometimes. And as we get bigger and bigger, it's going to be tougher. Uh, but that's why you're going to have, you know, the whole team from the top down, understanding the same expectations, the same core values, the same vision. So that way they're all speaking the same language. Now you're just, you know, uh, tweaking things here and there when it comes to communication. Yeah. Karen, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think everyone covered some really good stuff. Um, I would just add to it, maybe, you know, having structure, like we definitely just do give some tactics, definitely, you know, your weekly update, when does that come out? Um, and the different avenues of communication. And then what we do, because I agree with Chess, I think communication is so hard, especially in, and we're only one facility. I can't imagine multiple facilities, um, but we have so many pieces and parts. You know, we all, we all have so many part-timers, who's coming in, who's going out and everything. And so um, when communication goes bad, you kind of got to think about how do you handle that? And what I've done and the staff just love it. I'm like, oh my goodness, have we been keeping a secret from you? Oh, well, we're not, you know, I mean, we just kind of poke fun at it because it wasn't on purpose. It was, you know, a, a, a failure. And unfortunately with communication is practice. It's time, um, you know, um, having that consistent message numerous times, various avenues, but there are times when there's a miss and that person comes back from something and they don't know it. So then it, it just lightens the load because on the flip side of it, if you're somebody and you're expected to know something and you feel like you were not communicated well with, so you don't know it, there's that other part of it as the employee, you know, how does that make me feel? You know, now do I feel, you know, at a place where I had like a bad taste in my mouth now because I didn't know about this. So we also try and fix that on the other side that if something didn't happen, oh, I'm so sorry for keeping secrets and, you know, or, you know, and we just have fun with that when there is a, you know, a kind of a hiccup there. Because I, yeah. I, I agree, communication is the most important thing, but it's also the one that takes the most work and time mm -hmm. to get it right. Go ahead, Jess. Just, just to add to that, though, I think uh, just one suggestion for, for you know, people listening is spending time with your managers and teaching them how to, how to communicate. I think we just assume that they know and they're all, obviously, you're communicating with them, but really taking time to go through that, like, you know, de-escalation skills. I mean, taking them through all the different components, how to listen. I mean, most people don't know how to do some of those real fundamental basic communication skills. And as a leader, you know, spending time with them to help them develop those skills is really is worth the time. And again, I, we spend a lot of time with our, our, our key managers and anybody that leads people going through that because we know that that solves a lot of bigger problems from occurring, right, or, or prevents them from occurring. So I would definitely uh, uh, spend some time with your managers on that. Yeah. The only thing I'll add is 
I mean, it really doesn't matter how small your team is. Communication's hard. I mean, I only have six employees back here and sometimes I accidentally leave someone out. Like we'll have these open conversations. I think everyone's listening or maybe they just stepped out of the office for a few minutes. And then I'm like, oh crap, I forgot you were gone and didn't tell you. And yeah, it really does have like a emotional impact, even though you didn't necessarily mean to leave them out to Karen's point. But that's human nature, right? I mean, any void in communication is always filled with negativity, right? Like if I text my daughter and she doesn't text me back, I'm not thinking she's having a great time somewhere. You're thinking, oh my God, something horrible happened, right? Yeah. So we always fill a void in communication with the worst case scenario. And we have to realize that's just human nature. And so Mm -hmm. don't don't create opportunities where people can fill the void, right? And that's why it's so important to make sure that you look through and don't leave those gaps that people can put those negative things in. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, well, I think this um, leads well into the next question, or question, which is what are signs a team maybe isn't gelling or functioning well? And I don't mean like obvious signs, whereas like, oh, we've had like a complete breakdown here and now there's an emergency. Maybe what are there some subtle signs that leaders can look out for that, hey, maybe there's some work we need to be doing in this area. Um, Ada, let's start with you. Um, maybe when you start hearing more eyes than we's, um, in the group, um, kind of a lack of coming upon a decision that, that just isn't happening and the team becomes stuck. Um, the communication isn't there, not enjoying working together, solving things together, the cohesiveness of the group, um, that's just not functioning well. Yeah. Yeah. So if people seem stuck and there's no movement, that would be a sign. Yep. Okay. Karen, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, I think, you know, some, some signs that something is not right is, you know, um, well, number one, follow your gut because probably you're feeling it somehow. And there could be some slight remarks that people make, you know, not even using I or we, but just how they're reacting to things or maybe they're quiet. You know, some people just shut down and they'll remove themselves and they're quieter or not contributing. Um, or you may hear someone else say, you know, what's going on with so-and-so? And you're like, what do you mean what's going on with so-and-so? And then I think you just got to be attuned to that um, when you feel, because the breakdown, I think it probably is going to, you know, something's probably starting to um you know, boil up a little bit before it actually happens where something doesn't get done or there's whatever it is, a breakdown in communication, there could be something else going on. And that's where I think as a leader, you know, if you are starting to see signs or you just feel that way, just check in. But I mean, when you check in with somebody, you really got to talk to them. And from Chez's point, you really got to listen, just sit back and listen. Um, Cause there may be something going on and you know, that's, that's hard. When, you know, yeah. when the team is not coming together and it could just be something personally that's going on with somebody and you're assuming that it has to do with work. It may have nothing to do at work. Could be have something to do at home and we just don't know it. Yeah. Makes sense. John. Yeah. I think, you know, Karen hit it right on the head. You got to trust your instinct. And, you know, I think we've been doing this a long time and maybe for those listening that have not, um, you know, some signs, would be, you know, um, the energy when you go into a department or a club, you know, um, you can just feel when there's cohesion and when there's teamwork and stuff. 
Uh, and then there's times where there's not, and it's quiet or it's, you know, everyone's keeping to themselves. There's no smiles. There's no, you know, kind of gives you uh, a red flag that there may be something going on. And typically what I found it's, it's sometimes, uh, you know, there might be a, a, a cultural distraction you know, what I call a distraction, someone in the locker room that might be a little bit cancerous to the rest of the team that may have uh, maybe not have a clear insight onto the vision of the company or the, the philosophies that the team has and are going against it. You know, there's just, you're going to have those, you know, players that just are not going to agree uh, and how they go about not agreeing with the vision tends to rub off in others, you know, the negative, you know, uh, negative Nancy's, you know, misery loves company type mentality, which is what I call the, cultural distraction. So, you know, it's those kind of things. Or, or when you have someone pull you aside and say, hey, you know, you know, this person's doing this or this person's doing that. And you always got to take it with a grain of salt, but put it on your radar to see if you can, you know, connect with that person that, you know, they're talking about and seeing if there's something personally wrong or something with work. And if you have multiple people saying the same thing that usually don't have contact with each other, then you know there's something going on that you need to address. And so uh, how you about go about doing that, again, should be the first approach of trying to help that person out. And then if it becomes too much of a distraction, then, you know, maybe make it a tougher decision. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, that's usually how you can feel it. You know, gut instinct, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The energy is definitely yeah. palpable when there's something not right. Mm-hmm. So. And results. And the results. If the, yeah. if, the, if the results aren't there, you know, there's, there's something wrong because any successful organization who has good results has a great culture. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't say they don't have hiccups, but you know, overall, um, I mean, they're, they're being perpetually triumphant and, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chaz, what are your thoughts on this one? Kind of to reiterate, kind of, we're all kind of saying the same thing. I think the feel is the most important, but you know, kind of thing when you walk in, you can kind of feel something's not right, you know, as part of that, but I think to break it down into kind of like, okay, now, how do you figure that out unless you've done this for 20 years or whatever? Um, you know, the reality of it is, is you look for change, right? And so when somebody's normally really talkative and they're not, when somebody is, um, you know, um, always really visible and now they're in their office all the time, you know, when you start noticing and recognizing changes in behavior, that is an indication that there's something not right, right? And I think as a good manager, what's really important is that you have to get some baseline, right? That's why it's so important to spend time with your people so that you understand what their baseline is so you can recognize when you see that change in behavior. And so when you interact with your team, it can't just be transactional in the standpoint of like, okay, asked you to do something or just how was your day? It's trying to get to understand who they are. What's their communication preferences? How do they interact? What are they an introvert or an extrovert? Do they like, you know, what do they like? What do they dislike? So you get to learn and understand them. And then when you see them not being themselves, that's usually, that's, that's your indicator. And so it does take time though on the front end to get to learn your team, to be able to know that uh, as part of that. But I would say that's really a sign of a good manager is that somebody that understands their team, they understand the individual um, preferences that that person has. And then they recognize when something seems to be different and then they do something about it. You can correlate that to just being a good manager in general. If you notice the pool <laughs> is out of whack, right? It's out of, out of the right thing. Then you, you, you respond to it. So I think those correlations, but you have to be able to open up up your eyes a little bit and see more so that you recognize when those little differences are, are, are different are changing you know so and and you want to better catch that as quickly as possible no different than the pool you want to catch the, the problem right away versus wait until it's a problem same thing on the human standpoint time does not solve problems times usually only makes human problems worse and so the quicker that you can recognize something that's not right and address it the better off you'll be by far yeah 
Well, I think the key to that too is as a leader, having the space um, and time um, to actually observe and not just be so caught up in the weeds of, of task management and doing that you don't, you can't actually pay attention to what's going on. Would you guys agree that that's why it's important to make sure that you're kind of working on the business and not just in it? Yeah. 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 Which can be hard. <laughs> There's a lot to do, right? Yeah. So delegating. Well, but I think that, like to your point though, I think these days even more so um, we do have to take the time, you know, like Chess said, having that baseline, we have to get to know everyone, you know, and, and how somebody was maybe before, you know, they could have suffered a loss between now and then. And, you know, maybe they are a little different, but if you know them, then you'll know what's going on with that. And whether it's you directly or your managers, but that's where I think the supervisors, managers, you know, myself included, we just got to take more time with our people and getting to know them and what do they value and, and, and measuring where they're at, because yeah. it, it can change on a dime to a point. And I think Ches said some brilliant things about like, you know, you really want to address it sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, you mentioned, um, you know, a sign that a team maybe isn't performing well as if they aren't um, performing. So I'm really curious about um, how do you hold your teams accountable and properly set goals? And we'll start with you, John. Well, I think the first thing is, I mean, there's different spectrums of that, but, you know, they got to have a clear understanding of the expectations that you have first. Uh, you can't just assume that they're going to know or expect them to know. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. But, um, you know, they got to have a clear understanding of those expectations. But we set, you know, whether they're personal development goals or production goals or whatever, um, you know, a lot of them are very measurable, you know, obviously with a time frame, um, you know, and then there's a lot of follow-up. And one of the things that, you know, next to our second core value uh, or first core value, which is personnel, our second core value is development and to ensure that they are being developed uh, in every single way that is possible to allow them to reach those goals that uh, we hold for them. And it could be personal development goals. It could be production goals to be whatever it is, you know, make 20 calls today. I don't, you know, I don't know. It could be whatever, but providing them with the training and developing so they're confident to do that, uh, which, you know, the accountability is much easier when they're developed. And so, um, you know, when we set the goals are pretty simple, but we use scorecards, we use measurement tools. We even, you know, we, I call it a silent motivator with all of our clubs, with our production goals. We just sent out a scorecard with the percentage of projections and stuff. And, uh, no one likes being at the bottom. So, uh, you know, so they, they work a little harder sometimes when they're, you know, being showcased in front of their teammates without us saying anything. It's just, you know, it goes back to that competitive nature. So, um, but we do leverage goals a lot and we do hold accountability to them with a lot of follow-up and a lot of development um, to create a competitive environment that I was talking about earlier. So we, we leverage that quite a bit to minimize the accountability and just get good performance. Yeah. Ada, what about you? Um, I think it's really important. So you sit with your top people, your top leaders in the club who themselves have their own departments. And I think we try really hard that once we've met with them, we then sit in on meetings that they hold. And then 
so on and so on. I think our biggest fear is we have a lot of employees, especially in the summer, and we employ about 30 lifeguards. And um, that's where two or 300 people are outside all summer. Do those lifeguards, are they able to answer questions? I know as far as safety and lifeguarding, that's wonderful. But when that member comes up and says, hey, we're the pickleball courts and you are, they are able to let them know, I think all of that training, but that all trickles down. And I think we're great at the first levels, the second levels, but how are we with most of our employees who come in our minimum wage and they're the ones who are really with our membership. So I think we feel that's really important to then take those groups from there and make sure that trickles down. Um, so that's one thing I think we, we work really hard on. Yeah, I could see how that would be a challenge. Like you said, with hundreds of employees, how are you sure that message isn't right. getting lost? Right. Yeah. Karen, what are, what are your thoughts on this one? On the goals and keeping the team accountable. I mean, just like strict goals. I mean, just like John, whether it's professional development or, um, you know, performance goals in the facility, of course you set them with the, with the person, you know, like our managers, we, we do it together. I'm not going to sit there what you need to do. I'm going to tell you what the organization where we're at and we'll share that and come up with that. So it's a shared goal. Um, and then have, uh, you know, our check-ins, our monthly check-ins so we can gauge because maybe the goal needs to change. I mean, as we all know, in 2020, everything had to change. 2021, everything, you know, our goals had to change. So we need to be a little bit more fluid with that too and understand why we're making those changes. So I think that having those monthly check-ins, especially if you're doing numbers, you know, what are your metrics? How are you measuring it? And then what's going on and why aren't we achieving it? And then why are we achieving it on the other side? You know, what, what's going well with this? Um, and then um, I just think, you know, listening to the employees and working with them to help them be successful because there could be sometimes they have goals in the beginning of the year and something happens and it's just not working out. And we want to be there to coach them through that say, and that's part of professional development. It's like, let's change it. We need to change it. You need to be more fluid. It's, you know, um, I think so that they understand, I, I care more about you and you're going to be successful and how, because if they're successful and they're feeling valued, it's, it's all going to come back to the organization anyhow. Right. And, um, let, let's figure out how we're going to make this work for you. You know, it's not just that if you don't give me, you know, the hundred sales this month and you're out, it's not about that. You know, hopefully you're, you're the right person anyway. So um, we need to work together as a team. And I think bringing the team focus around that, that it's not singular. You are not just the sole person, you know, um, like someone getting a bonus on retention. Really? How could one person get a bonus on retention? It's the frontline staff. It's the people who are cleaning locker rooms, you know, keeping the place clean. So, um, you know, just supporting them and reviewing the goals and seeing where they're at, marking that gauge and working with them as a team, regardless of what level you're at, to move, keep moving forward and upward. Yeah. yeah. Chaz, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the reality of it is, is most people that are underperforming uh, within your company know they're underperforming and they don't need the manager to come in there and tell them that. And I think that usually creates only more stress and more pressure and they underperform even more. And so I think you really have to take an approach of how you really can help them, you know, to succeed. Your job is not to manage them, not to tell them they're doing a bad job. Your job is to help them to succeed and, and you have to develop them into the position that you want them to be in or develop them into a position that they're going to succeed in. And so that goes 
back to getting the right people on the right bus and getting them in the right seat. You know, your best salesperson might be at your front desk, best front desk person might be teaching group fitness for you. And so it's really your opportunity as a leader to make sure that you figure out where people should go based on their strengths, based on what they're really good at and put them in that right position so that they succeed. And that, that really will help your teamwork as well. You know, a lot of times when people are doing bad, you know, at, at hitting numbers, they're just, uh, you know, let's just use sales specifically or in personal training. You know, maybe we're not setting them up to succeed by what position they're in. And we have to kind of reevaluate, you know, that as part of that process. I think the other side of it is, is really incorporating it to how it impacts them. You can't just talk about, you know, oh, the company needs to sell whatever, right? And I'll use, you know, you switch to personal training as a trainer, what are your goals and how do, you know, us growing your business and helping you grow your business, help you buy your house and help you take care of your family and really connecting the dots so that you're taking it back to why they need to do that versus why to do it for us. We're doing this for them so they can reach their goals and help them live a better life. Right. And so you, as a manager, you sometimes have to turn that around to really look at, at that from their perspective versus it just from our perspective that we're frustrated that they're not doing the job that we need them to do. And so I think turning that around and really helping develop them to so that they can be successful, bring it to the things that really matter to them is really crucial in order to get the results that you want. And again, in, engage them in the process. I've had salespeople will set higher goals for themselves a lot of times than we would as sales managers or as owners of a company, if we've done a good job of engaging them and, and, and showing them why and how they can make more money and how it benefits them and the whole company and their membership, right? So it's again, connecting all those dots as part of that process. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and I think I think also to add to that for those listening is that accountability isn't always a bad word. I think a lot of people have this perception to be held accountable. You know, it's a bad word. Accountability is constant follow-up, insurance that things are on the right track. People have what they need in order to to be successful. And, you know, I think Chaz alluded to this, you know, if we have people that need to be held accountable and pushed and driven more so than they push themselves, and you probably have the wrong people on the team unless they're in development mode. So, uh, you know, I don't spend personally a lot of time or any time, you know, pointing out or beating someone up because they're not meeting a certain objective. It's more so isolating. How can we get better? Where am I missing to get make you better? Because if it's a if it's a work issue, then that's on them. You know, they're just not putting in the effort. If it's a skill issue that falls on me. And so, um, you know, isolating those things and making sure that accountability is consistent and that you're constantly following up and uh, with uh, the goals that you set for them, um, you know, is very important. And if you don't, then they're just going to take it and, uh, you know, not take you seriously when you set these objectives for them. So you got to be very persistent in following up with them on that and just not spending time beating them up with it, but spending that time, uh, you know, in a positive way and develop them even more. Yeah. Great point, John. And I think culture of accountability is when they are holding themselves accountable. And I think that's what you ultimately want to kind of create for that is that, that in, there's that intrinsic or ent- extrinsic accountability, right? I, I'm, I'm holding them accountable or they're holding them accountable for themselves. And so you really want to make sure you develop your team so that they start to hold themselves accountable for their actions, right? And so that takes a little time. It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of working together with those people, but they'll hold themselves accountable you know, to themselves. That's what's going to get you to the next level. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's where that internal competitiveness comes that they have the competitive mindset to want to accomplish the goals you set for them. And so that's where that personal accountability comes in. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, we just have um, time for a few more questions, I think. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and start with, I'm just curious if there's any technologies that you guys find useful in managing your teams, communication, or sorry, communicating with your teams or measuring performance. Does anyone, um, raise your hand if you have one that you'd like to share. Go ahead, Jess. What, what I would say, is, I, I use to do a lot personally. Um, I'm a big like write down your to do list thing. So I use to do's a lot. But I, what I will tell you is a, a, a lot of it is the tasky part of the business, right? We end up putting down like, don't we have to work on this project? We have to do this, we have to do that. What I would recommend for a lot of leaders is to put down the human side of it on to do's. Go and go catch somebody doing something right. Go give somebody a gift card that you notice doing something within there. Because the problem is, is that we don't have a good way sometimes as a leader to hold ourselves accountable to do the things that we need to do. And so whether you put that in your calendar, whether you put it in to do's, whether you, however, you write it on an old piece of paper still, and you still do your list that way, it's being consistent with what you, you, how you manage all the things that you need to get done, A, and then B, making sure that your, your list and your way that you're structuring things really allows it to be, um, again, not just the tasky side of the business, that we go after the human side of the business. I literally, you know, got, when we got, we were growing the business, I literally had to go like every hour, go upstairs and find somebody. My office was downstairs, you know, that go talk to somebody, go do those things. Cause you have to get into that habit of really making sure that you're connecting with your team because they're the ones that are going to make you successful. And the other computer program that we use is um, Microsoft Teams. And, and I think that's been one that's been really positive. And I, what we use it for is we've really been able to take not just the, the, the kind of Zoom concept of meetings, but we've been able to put a lot of information in the files that now everybody has access to. So I think that's a really big deal in the standpoint of that they can just all go and look at documents. We've been able to get schedules live time so they can go see the schedule and anybody can edit it and change it and know who's supposed to be there or whatnot. So, so I think that's been a helpful tool. Yeah. Awesome. Karen, what about you? Um, I don't think anything more special than what Chez is bringing up. I mean, um, in a sense of for managing the teams, I mean, you know, um, to me, like when I, when I first saw that question, I'm like, wait, is this like for the technologies? And I was like, I think that's part of the problem. Maybe we have too much technology and maybe we need to keep the in-person feel to it, to a point, you know, I mean, I know for those with multi-clubs, it's hard, um, or really big facilities, but, um, I think we still need to keep it a personal level to value them because, you know, we rely too much on technology, you know, they can go anywhere. What's the difference? What's the difference from working for me or working for someone else? So, you know, I think the same things like with the teams, texting, the communicate, you know, just using the basic stuff, emails, meetings, reminders, um, like we use teams as well in the organization. We have a shared drive that anyone can go into. So they will always have their tools there that they need to find any information. They could just go right there to find it. Um, so that's really it for us. Yeah. John or Ada, do you, if, raise your hand if you want to add to that one. If not, we'll just move on. Yeah, this is, okay. you know, I, I, we use teams too, but just the basic communications, you know, we use group me for communications for my executive team instead of text messaging, just in case someone leaves, we can add or pull off you know uh, people but outside that we're always looking for opportunities for you know things that will give us a competitive edge you know with our teams or with ourselves yeah awesome all right well i really want to hear and um, this might be our final question what are your favorite leadership books on managing and leading teams that you can share just recommendations for the audience ada um with all the changes we've had um 
leadership um, okay. has been a good one for us to look at. And um, again, I tell, I, I'm next to a bookcase that must have a hundred leadership books. And all I would tell people is, you know, read them, see how they fit into your club. Um, because what works for one club does not necessarily work for your four clubs. So, um, but that is the, the latest. Okay. That's one I haven't read by uh, Maxwell. So I'll have to add that one to the list. Good one. Yeah. Karen. Okay. So um, I just finished again, uh, Leaders Eat Last. Simon Sinek. So just finished that one again. And it kind of plays into, we are now by management reading this one, the five languages okay. of appreciation in the workplace. So we have started on this. I have not finished it, but so far it's all tying into, um, you know, the difference between recognition and appreciation. People want to feel appreciated, not just recognized. Recognized for performance, appreciations for who you are. And uh, right. So we are on this one. I think Brent Darden always brings it up, you know, so we are doing that one right now. That's very cool. Is that kind of a spin-off of the five love languages? Yes. Yes, it is. So I'm excited because I, I, I just think these days with the stress, like I do feel like people are more stressed or just in a different place that we need to be more human. Like going yeah. to this point. Yeah. John, what are your um, book recommendations? I got four um, that I really stick out. Uh, one's called Compete to Create. It's from Pete Carroll, who is a head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, who has mm -hmm. a very unique philosophy and culture. Uh, leadership Strategies and Tactics from Jocko Willink, who is a, a, a former Marine or a Navy SEAL, excuse me. Um, very good at articulating leadership skills and tying it in when he was a squad leader and whatnot. Um, the score takes care of itself from Bill Walsh. I'm sure everybody knew who Bill Walsh was. Again, I'm a big sports fan coaches, which is not much different than what we do than in sports, right? There's a, pretty much a, a huge similarity. And then uh, one, I'm always big on personal developments because if we're not staying ahead of the curve for our teams and our staffs, then, you know, uh, we can't provide, you know, in-depth more development for them. This one's called Relentless and also called Winning from Tim Grover, who used to be Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant's uh, personal trainer, and a lot of other uh, uh, professional um, superstars that has great uh, philosophies and personal mental toughness type skills. Awesome. I haven't heard of a couple of those, so I appreciate those recommendations. Chez, what about you? Um. I, I have a couple. I think, um, you know, if you're if you're a reader, you probably read a couple of these. But I think if you haven't read a lot of books, these are where I would start. Maybe uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins says one that's a good foundation. If again, if you haven't read that book and you're in business, I think there's a lot of really important things there. If you're in our industry, I would put uh, Setting the Table uh, is a great book. Um, Danny Meyer, um, you know, so restaurateur in New York, it just, there's a lot of correlations to the customer service industry that we provide for our members. And so that one's really, um, really a, a good book uh, as part of that. Um, I think we've mentioned a couple of Simon, Simon Sinek books, but starting with why, if you haven't read that one, I would start with that one and then do Leaders Eat Last, because I think that that takes that concept and builds off of it. And then one from a personal development standpoint that I, I got a lot out of was just one called Limitless. Um, that's uh, Jim Quick. It's more on like, uh, just again, as kind of we just heard, you know, John talking about we set the bar, right? And so how do we make sure that we're continually growing and developing and learning as part of that? But, but my last comment would be is, 
the book that you read really doesn't matter. Um, I think a lot of people have gotten into this personal development and it's just they're checking boxes and they're not actually personally developing. <laughs> just going through the act of doing it doesn't make you better. It's taking the information and using it makes you better. And so if you do read a book, take some things out of it and then apply it. I mean, the application of the knowledge is where the difference happens, not just the learning of it. So I think just, you know, again, if, if you're not a reader, that's okay, but just find ways that you can learn things and then apply them because that will allow you to grow and develop better and faster. Yeah, that's a great point to add on, uh, to end on, Chez. So appreciate that. But yeah, we're out of time. Um, I really appreciate each of the panelists for taking time out of their busy days to share all of their expertise with the, the audience and audience members, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm um, hopefully got a lot out of it. I know I certainly did, including a bunch of books that I'll be adding to my list now. So <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys again and everyone have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.